I think for the first 20 years of our marriage, Uh-oh. I was living... I'm scared of what you're going to say. I, I was living in shame because of my past, because of things that had happened to me, because of things that were done to me, things I had done, and I was hiding continually in our marriage. And I became very self-protective, and I don't even think I let you into those darker places of my life. That's a pretty big confession. That's half our marriage. (laughs) I know. And I think it's taken me probably just as long learning how to get out of that shame. And the truth is, our past experiences and our past shame affect our marriages and they affect the way we parent. Welcome to Family Life Today, where we want to help you pursue the relationships that matter most. I'm Ann Wilson. And I'm Dave Wilson, and you can find us at FamilyLifeToday.com or on the Family Life app. This is Family Life Today. We were talking to a couple a few weeks ago, and they said, yeah, our past is not going to affect our marriage. They're in our first year of marriage and we just literally like almost wanted to laugh out loud. Not that it's funny, but it's like, oh, you have no idea. Yeah. This will affect you. And like you said, for 20 some years, and especially this topic of shame, which we've been talking about the last couple of days, we've got Ron and Nan Deal back in the studio with us. We're going to do another day on this oh, hot no. topic called shame. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> but we need to because it is in oh, every one of our lives. It is. You know, as you hear us say, half our marriage. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just Anne. I was hiding as well and mm-hmm. can still hide yeah. because well, about, of shame. About guys, three days ago, Nan and I were having a conversation in the kitchen over breakfast. And I was unpacking some things about my shame. And how it impacts my life and how and it shows up in the little micro moments of life. I'll give you a quick illustration. She said, hey, there's a breakfast casserole leftovers in the refrigerator. Because you have to know, Ron doesn't remember. I'm not shaming you, baby. I waste food. <laughs> he doesn't remember what's in the refrigerator. And he's over there doing something you know, just making toast or whatever. And I'm thinking, ooh, there's delicious breakfast casserole. I want to help you out. You really love that. And he'll forget what's in our house to even eat. So I was really trying to help you out there. Here's where the emotional dominoes go in my head and my heart. All of a sudden, it's like, I heard I should eat breakfast casserole. She has a need for me to eat breakfast casserole, and I don't want to waste because I've done that in the past. So I need to jump in there and eat breakfast casserole, even though I really don't want breakfast casserole. But that's okay, Ron. Your opinion doesn't matter because right now you need to be doing what your wife wants you to do. Where does that come from? Well, I spent a good deal of my childhood making sure my parents were happy with me, so I'm always letting other people's opinions matter more than my own opinion. So I spent a good part of our marriage not having opinions. Because if I had opinions, then they might be wrong, and then I'm not I'm disappointing somebody that I love and care for. And so Nan's opinion is far more worthy than my opinion, so I'm going to eat breakfast casserole. Wow. <laughs> that happened in a nanosecond right? three days ago. <laughs> that happens to all of us. And you know what? I'm finally at a place in my life where I go, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can have an opinion. And she might actually be disappointed that I eat something different than breakfast casserole. And you know what? It's going to be okay because I know she loves me and our relationship's not based on whether or not I please her in every moment of our life. And it's going to be okay. I can have an opinion. I'm a person of worth because of Jesus. 
And all of that became the new thought that replaced the shame thought. Now that's taken work, folks. I mean, that's taken. I'm exhausted just listening. That's why it's taken 20 years. You should live it, you know, trying to figure that. But this is the human experience. This is what we're talking about. And it's beautiful. And it's why we need one another. Exactly. Exactly. And we need to understand Jesus as he walks into this part of our lives, which is, as we said the last couple of days, huge part. And he wants to walk into it. Of all our lives. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned uh, this conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well yesterday. Uh, we had Dr. Christian McClellan on. She's a Jewish historian, a college professor. Her insights into history and even this conversation were enlightening to us. Mm-hmm. And so we want to play a, a quick clip and I want to hear your response because she mm-hmm. talks about how mm-hmm. Jesus walks into the shame that this woman at the well felt. And it was an insight I had never really understood before, and I think it can help us understand shame and how we need to respond as followers of Christ to this part of our lives. One of the things that I like to unpack is we understand Jesus and his historical cultural world in this moment is at that time, divorce was the exclusive right of the male. Only men could divorce their wives. Women could not even legally, that just wasn't even a thing. So we've often thought of her as having five husbands. It means that she's a man eater. She's a perpetual cheater or something like this. She's loose. Bad morals. But there's absolutely no way that's what the text is saying because she would be dead. They stone adulteresses in that world. We have Mm -hmm. a story in John chapter 8 that Mm -hmm. tells us that. So she's not lascivious. So she's had five husbands, what's going on? And I always say, Jesus was not naming her sin in that moment. He was naming her shame (laughs) because she had been left five times. Five men had married and left her. Mm. And it's different. So she felt like, what is wrong with me that all these men would leave me? I must be broken. That's her shame. Yeah, Yeah. that's her shame. And so Jesus grabs her back to our definition of justice from the moment he says that to her. Go read the narrative. He starts lifting her out of it. (laughs) And in the Gospel of John, she is the first person, the first person that he ever explicitly admits that he is the Messiah. You can only do a thing for the first time, (laughs) one time, for all of human history from Genesis is one till the end of it all, she will forever always be the one that holds the right that she was the first one that he told that he was the Messiah. See, what I hear in that clip is a woman who was not guilty, we could say, or responsible necessarily for those previous marriages, but she still carried the shame of it. And for a lot of people listening right now, it didn't start with that first marriage. It started earlier than that in a previous relationship or in childhood with family or parents or what have you, she's kind of always walked around with this sense that she's not worthy or nobody really wants you. And then lo and behold, it happens over and over and over again. And the shame just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And to connect the thought we heard from Dr. Kurt Thompson in a previous broadcast yesterday, Jesus says, I see that. And I'm not afraid of that part of you. I'm coming for that. I want you to know that that thing that you're just so ashamed of is not going to keep me from loving you. I'm still here. And by the way, that's the beginning of healing. When we are honest with 
our story that we're so ashamed of outwardly in a way that allows Jesus first and foremost, and then other loving people here on on earth, for them to actually see that, hear that, and then for them to respond to us in a loving way to say, I'm not leaving. I still care for you. You still matter to me. That's when shame begins to dissipate. And he meets her in the mess. Hmm. She's still in it. It's not in the past Mm -hmm. for her. Right. It's in the present. Mm. That's what I love. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to that clip and thinking, and the Messiah comes to her as she's living with somebody. She's still in it. Mm. And he's not afraid of that. And he's going to come after us in our mess. We just have to be willing to share our messes. And that's a hard thing to do. So let me wrap around to finish the rest of the story. I started earlier over breakfast casserole. Yeah. Oh, we're back there? Oh, we're no. back to that. We're in your kitchen. <laughs> because Honey, the second Honey, part of this— Honey, you can have whatever you want to eat. <laughs> Thank have you. that toast with that peanut butter and syrup. <laughs> That's the good stuff. The second part of the story is, even though I had to do all those mental gymnastics of, okay, wait a minute, this is past. What am I doing? Why do I think that way? No, it's okay. I can be a self. The next thing I needed to do was let Nan see that in Mm. me. Because if I hold that all within myself, there's still this suspicion. Boy, if somebody I really care for saw that in me, they would still reject me. Mm. And the only way through that is to find the courage to tell her. Now, I had to find a trusted person, right? And there's been seasons in Nan and I's marriage where I didn't trust her to tell her those kinds of intimate things about me. Same. But Mm -hmm. at this point, I do. And so I said, hey, so let me just tell you what just went on within me. And I'm sharing outwardly this whole thing about shame. And by the way, shame wants to say, no, don't share that because you'll be ashamed that you feel shame. (laughs) And so you don't share. And it's like, no, I have to share. She held it with honor and respect and cared for me. And probably said, thanks for sharing. Yes, and here's what I really meant by that. I just wanted you to know it was in there so you might be able to enjoy that. There was no need for you to eat it, just there it was. But but he was triggered. Yeah. Yes, he was path. definitely well, triggered. Well, is this life, you know, being married to a therapist? Is this what happened? <laughs> well, well, she was doing the therapy <laughs> on the therapist. Let me just tell you. I mean, you know, yeah. that's one of those moments where I need it. I need the healing. And I have to share that openly with somebody who will hold it sacred. I'll tell you this. It's not just life with the therapist. I think it's life with two people who Mm. have been redeemed Mm. and healed. So you've done the work. You're doing Doing the the work. work And trying to be more vulnerable with one another, more intimate. I mean, we would keep things from one another. I mean, that It was a huge thing for him to share that. It's a very big thing now for me to share. You know what? I did this. I need to own this behavior Hmm. in the past. But new Nan is going to walk in this freedom. And we didn't do that very well for a long time. I think that kept us from being intimate with one another. There was no confessional community. Well, I I heard years ago, I, I mean, decades ago, and I've never forgotten the statement. I don't even know who said it, but they said church, and they were actually literally speaking of small groups mm-hmm. in church, mm-hmm. which are obviously a little more intimate than the big Sunday service. They said uh, churches where people hide the most. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I remember I thinking, 
No, no, no. Churches where mm-hmm. we we are vulnerable. No, you go to a small group, and even there with close friends, there's secrets we cover up with fig leaves. We yes. put on the face. And, you know, as I was listening to Christy, I thought, man, she said Jesus lifted her out of the shame. And I thought, Mm -hmm. that's what we should be. We should be lifters out of shame in our marriages as parents in the church. So what would that look like? Because it shouldn't be the place we hide. It should be the place we're seen and loved out of our shame. For 35 years uh, that we've been in ministry, we've heard churches say, come as you are. (laughs) And I find it very rare that there is a community of believers that actually has a culture where people can actually come as they are and actually be open about their life. I think it always starts in a community. It starts with leadership. If leadership is not is mm-hmm. unwilling to do that, then nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Somebody from the front has to do that. But so often pastors and leaders, I know because I was in that place. I did this. Mm-hmm. I shared a little bit, but it was calculating about what I would share about my life. I didn't really open up. And so I sort of always gave this sense that we had it together and life was just fine. And that really wasn't the truth at all. So Dave, to the heart of the question, I mean, there's really two sides of this. Back to my little breakfast casserole example, two things have to happen. I have to be willing to find the courage to share openly about something that I'm ashamed of. And it needs to be done in the presence of somebody else. In this case, it was my wife, but it could be a small group. It could be some other people, fellow friends or believers. Or parent to child. Parent to child. That will receive it and hear it and acknowledge it, not run, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Don't. No, 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 this is hard. Oh, I see what you're talking about. I see you. See, there's Jesus. I'm coming for you. I see you fully as you are, and I still love you. I mean, that sort of experience from people that I love and trust now is what begins to heal that shame. It no longer has a hold on me, a grasp saying, Ron, you got to hide. All of a sudden, I experience... No, I don't have to hide. I am received and loved by God, absolutely. And now my wife in this moment sees me completely and she's still here. I think it's okay that I have this part of me that I'm not proud of. That's a healing process. But, but that begins. you know, I, I know I'm, I'm in the listening to this right now and I'm in a marriage where I'm like, okay, if I, I don't really trust that spouse, told her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't stay. Yeah. Right. It, and a child is thinking, if my mom or dad really knew what I did last night, yep. so I'm only going to tell them a little bit, they're not going to stay. Right. So I'm not going to. And if I told anybody at the church, I'm not welcome back there. Because they're, you know, what I'm doing is a uh, hundred times worse than what anybody else is doing there. So that's why we don't. So how do we, how do we trust people that they won't leave? Got to be we, careful to choose the right people. Right. And we, I think we have to flip that scenario. Mm. We have to flip that scenario. I'm a part of a beautiful community, Regeneration. Every Thursday night, someone's getting up and giving their testimony, or you're in a group where someone is sharing their life. And not too long ago, one of my good friends who I graduated with, she got up to give her testimony, and she was the woman at the well. I mean, she came from addiction. Her story is addiction, five marriages. And at one point, Linda takes a breath. And in the audience, you hear, this is a safe place. Mm. We love you. We're here for you. God's got this. And she goes. Mm. And this woman has been in prison five times. 
and she is now leading women in a step group. Mm. And I see more Jesus in her. Mm. It's beautiful because she is in a safe place where she can share her stuff, but also then share what God has done in her life. We need to take a breath, step back, and not be judgmental of what our spouse is coming at us with or what our kids are coming at us with. And remember what God has forgiven us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been forgiven so much. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a shift in the churches. It's got to be a shift in our marriages and in in our families. Nan, when I hear you say that, I think about Celebrate Recovery in our church. Yes. And when we do retreats, I always want to be in that cabin where mm-hmm. women have been through Celebrate Recovery. They are the most real, honest, and they will just yes. go there instantly. And Dave and I, we've both said that, like, oh, they're the best. It's refreshing when people will be, here's who I am, here's how God's redeemed me, and here's where I messed up. But I'm getting healthier as I'm walking with Jesus, and I'm revealing all that has happened. You know why yes. you love that so much? Same reason I love it so much. It's because it instantly tells you, you don't have to hide either. Yeah, exactly. They're not hiding. I don't have to hide. This is the liberation that we're all seeking for. Now, let me just comment. Nan's regeneration ministry is huge. It has structure. They have rules about how you respond and, you know, you don't crosstalk, you don't gossip, Mm -hmm. you know, and you listen to people. and, And there's just this culture that creates that loving environment. Marriage, like Dave was saying, sometimes is dangerous to be honest and yeah. real and transparent. How, think well, about parenting for a minute. Like a child, you know, does something wrong. We want them to feel guilty about it. We want them to feel some measure of conviction about that, to feel regret about their own behavior. I think that's what 2 Corinthians 7 is talking about. Godly grief literally means regret. You feel regret over your behavior, and that motivates you to repent and to change. But what we don't want them to feel is that you're a horrible person, that you're unacceptable, that you're unworthy of my love. Those are two totally different things. Regret over behavior, but you are still worthy of my love, and I'm still here, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm moving towards you, even in the midst of the moment where you feel the most shame. That's when we're able to maintain our influence and help somebody move through it and move, I want to say, past that shame moment. It doesn't take root. At so what, what do you say to a couple that right now is listening and the guy's thinking, I need to tell my wife about my struggle with porn. Right. It's a lot worse than she thinks. Mm-hmm. Maybe she doesn't know anything, but maybe she has an indication. And then listening to the last three days, he's like, I'm carrying shame about this, Mm -hmm. and I want to win, and I'm not going to win in the dark. I'm not hiding anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell her. And it could be the other way. could be a woman telling her husband any sin issue. How does the spouse respond? Okay, let me answer that second. Uh, The first thing I want to do is back up another step. I think it might be worthy— uh, consideration for this man to find a brother or a pastor mm. or a mentor or a therapist or somebody that good word totally is a safe place for them to make that first confession to and then ultimately bring it to the wife where they're creating a context where it's more likely that she can hear it. It's not, you know, his repentance is not up to his wife's response. It's not determined by that. Right. It, it, that's between him and God. Right. But they're going to try to create it in a way that is conducive to the two of them coming together. 
Second part of the question is, how does she respond? Anytime anybody says anything to us that disappoints us, that hurts us, that is... uh, Causes us pain. Yeah, in this case, this breaks trust in our relationship. There's going to be hurt. I think the discipline is trying to swallow hard. Yes, be real with your hurt. You don't pretend like you don't have that. Maybe contain what you're going to say and how you say it. Wait until some time passes and then maybe address that pain. But receive it and hear it. And I think sometimes the best we can do in the moment is thank you for being honest and telling me, now I got to go wrestle with this broken trust and this hurt. And it's going to take some time. Uh, be patient with me. And then that slowly opens the door perhaps to them figuring out what the next step might be. And I think the first step too, even before that, I think we all assume this, but to go before the Father, He's the first one we go to of that confession, the repentance. And that's just telling God the truth. This is what I've done. This is where I am. This is how I feel about myself. There's something really healing about that first step too, where He is the one that forgives and restores, just like the woman at the well. And here's the next question. I got a bunch of them. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) How do you create in a family, thinking parents now, a grace-based home, not a Mm shame-based home? Because I think a lot of us have created shame-based not knowing it. We think we're oh. doing the Christian oh, I'm hearing thing. it now with my adult kids of the things that I said and did. Oh, like, oh. Yes. The glances. You can do it with a glance. You a can look. do it with one word. A glance that says, I'm disappointed. Yes. Yeah. Why are you doing that yeah. that way? Or why did you, why did that happen? Even or, what you said uh, earlier, what in the world were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is basically saying you are a loser. And yeah. every parent's like, so what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> that look has do? some power to it. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me give you something that challenges me. The scriptures talk a lot about God's delight in us. Mm-hmm. Okay, slow that down for a minute. Back up the truck. He knows everything about you and mine. Mm. He knows every sin I've ever committed. He knows how dark my heart can be in any given moment, and yet he delights in me. And he keeps coming. He keeps coming. The story of the gospel is God pursuing those who were dark in their hearts. All right. How do we delight in our child in a moment of disobedience? How do we delight in them at a time, a season of their life where when it's happened with our kids, where they're turning away from what's good and right and noble and following the way of the world? I'm not saying don't set boundaries. I'm absolutely consequences, yeah. you know, especially with younger children, like we absolutely want to come alongside him and try to create some of that godly grief that leads to repentance. And we absolutely positively want to communicate at the very same time. You are my child, and I still delight in you. I still love you. This has not changed Mm -hmm. anything about the nature of your value to me. Now, that is a delicate, delicate little tightrope to walk. But I think that's how we keep from using shame as our best tool. Because let's just say it. Shame is one of the greatest parenting tools in the world. You can get a kid to change your behavior in a heartbeat. And guilt. Shame will work. It's a sledgehammer. And it creates all kinds of other problems in the long run. So, no, it's not a great parenting tool. But it's a great fallback when you don't know what else. So, we want to delight and correct. I think that's what we need to do with God's grace, with His mercy. It's got to get into us. We have to know how much 
He loves us. Mm. How much His grace and mercy and steadfast love is for us, no matter how long we journey, we prodigal. It's the same thing with our spouse. It's the same thing with our kids. The jury can still be out on some things. I have felt that way in my life. In my 50s, I am just now grasping how immeasurably He loves me. He's forgiven me. I want to show that grace and mercy to others. Mm. When we grasp that, you don't want to hold that in. You just mm. want to give that out. And I think that's that would help in our families. Mm-hmm. I think that would help in the church for sure. Yeah, I, you know, as I hear you say that, I'm thinking often in our sin, maybe I'm just talking about me, I run away from the Father. Mm-hmm. But if I understood what you just said, his delight, yeah. even in my sin, I may come to him with my head down because mm-hmm. I've sinned and I'm mm-hmm. confessing. By the end of that conversation, my chin is going to be up because he's going to literally lift it the and lift say, my head. Mm-hmm. thank you for confessing that. It was wrong, but I love you. But I love mm-hmm. you. And, and I that is not that. who you are. Mm-hmm. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. That is not who you are. Let's go live who you are. Yeah, and, go and sin no more. You know, if our sons and daughters ran to our homes with that sense, I need to tell mom and dad what I did and it was wrong. But I know that they're going to love me and I'm going to walk out with my chin back up and I'm going to live live the way I'm, I'm going to live, I'm gonna live my identity. Mm-hmm. That's what we hope to embody as parents, right? Where That's mm-hmm. the gospel, that we would live that in our homes and our kids would feel it. You're listening to Dave and Ann Wilson with Ron and Nan Deal on Family Life Today. If you've ever messed up as a parent, (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) you'll want to stick around. Ron and Nan have some encouragement for you. But first, you know, many couples in blended families struggle with the element of shame. But the good news is you don't have to. So join us for some encouragement at this year's Blended and Blessed live event and live stream. You'll hear from Ron and Nan Deal, John Trent, and other amazing speakers. The event is coming up on April 29th, and you don't even have to leave home to attend. So you can learn more under the show notes section on familylifetoday.com. Also, earlier this week, we heard from author and speaker Heather Holloman. Her book is called Seated with Christ. We wanted to send you a copy as our thanks when you partner financially with Family Life. Your partnership helps make conversations just like the one you heard today actually possible. Conversations that families all over the country and really all around the world desperately need to hear. So you can help more families today by giving at familylifetoday.com and we'll send you Heather's book as our thanks. Again, you can give at familylifetoday.com or by calling 800-358-6329. That's 800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. All right, here's Ron and Nan with some encouragement for parents who mess up. You know, like me specifically, or really all of us. If you've messed up as a parent, guys, today's the day to go in and go, okay, I have messed up as a parent. I have shame parented you. Mm. Forgive me. Mm. I want to start anew, afresh, Mm. because this is what God's done in my life. 
What do you think about that? Let's talk about that. I mean, the day's not over. Right. Listen to the, the importance of that. You are now demonstrating how to come out of your own shame. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I can be stuck. Well, I'm ashamed that I've been shaming my kids, so I can't really say that out loud. No, that's exactly the thing to do. Confess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Bring it to the surface. Own it. Put it out there. Ask for forgiveness. And in so doing, demonstrate to your child a process that they need to learn how to do to deal with their own shame. Do you ever feel like you keep messing up or you can't get anything right spiritually or really just in general? Well, make sure you join us next week as Dave and Ann talk with pastor and author Dane Ortland about applying the grace of God to our real lives. That's coming up next week. On behalf of Dave and Ann Wilson, I'm Shelby Abbott. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life, a crew ministry, helping you pursue the relationships that matter most.